Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hey everyone, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Today's quote is from A.A. A. Milne, who wrote um, Winnie the Pooh. Because, uh, you know, <laughs> life is hard, guys. It is more fun to talk with someone who doesn't use long, difficult words, but rather short, easy words. Like, what about lunch? Welcome to Permission to Speak, the podcast about how we talk and how we get ourselves heard with me, Samara Bay. Today's guest is Ashley Nicole Black. She is known for writing on Full Frontal with Samantha Bee and also conducting some stunning interviews on air. We're going to link to her Stacey Abrams special, which is brilliant and stands the test of time. Uh, She's also one of the head writers and actors on HBO's A Black Lady Sketch Show. And if you follow her, you know her Twitter feed. Uh, Yes, she is the one who tweeted out about um, Elizabeth Warren asking if um, she had plans for her love life. And uh, Liz responded. And we talked about what happened uh, after that in this conversation. I wanted to have Ashley on because, I mean, she's a, a total comedic genius. And... She channels her voice on the page, on screen, into advice columns, into her own podcast, which is temporarily on hold, but it's awesome and has an amazing backlog. It's called Sip on This with Ashley Nicole Black. And uh, in our conversation, I, I really appreciated her take on improv and how <laughs> it teaches us to be better everythings and her absolutely unique experience, I would say, uh, leaving a PhD program where she was focused on contemporary minstrelsy to join Second City in Chicago and do improv and sketch, which led her to Hollywood. It's amazing. I should also say we recorded this very early on in the pandemic uh, when I had just figured out my home studio and had, as it turned out, not quite figured out my Wi-Fi. And um, that's my caveat on our, our our timing being a little off. I think she couldn't understand everything I was saying and was being very gracious about it. But um, don't worry. I have since fixed the problem. But we held this one back in our archives for a little bit. And I decided, you know what, let's just share it because... She is a wonder. This is Ashley Nicole Black. I read this amazing quote of yours. You said, I was a really shy and weird kid. So I think that my parents are happy I have the ability to talk to people at all. My mom used to literally force me to go outside and I used to prop my book up on the handlebars of my bike and ride in a circle. Yes, I did. (laughs) And I don't think my parents think that I know it because they told me, they were like, we're so happy it worked out because you were so weird 
and we just wondered if you were going to be okay. <laughs> I mean, for all of us, that's lovely <laughs> to hear. Um, how do you, like, What do, when you think of her and you think of you now, do you have trouble, like, squaring who those two people are, or does it seem like it's a completely linear progression from yeah. that girl with the handlebars? Um, it is a completely linear progression. I think when I was a kid... I was like a really smart kid, like high IQ, low EQ. I I didn't like understand what was happening with people. So I would like often be like thinking really hard about something and then just start a conversation in the middle of that thought process. And my parents had to teach me like, you got to say hello to people and meet them <laughs> where they are and then start the beginning of the conversation or bring them along with you. It wasn't like a natural thing for me. But I was like, so... Did you actually try that? I mean, do you remember really actively being like, let me try doing that thing my parents told oh, me it yeah, works well? Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> and they are great communicators. Like my dad's a minister. Um, and so like being a good communicator was like an important thing in our household. It was like a job. It was something you learned mm. to do. Um, and I was also like a super curious kid. And like my parents didn't believe in like giving children answers to questions. Like if you wanted to know how something worked, you could pull out the dictionary or like eventually um, you could ask Jeeves and (laughs) (laughs) uh, find out about it. And so it was like, oh, it was so interesting in finding out about things. And I had to learn how to like communicate those things to people. Hmm. Yeah. That makes me think of when I was like, when I've been a teacher or a coach and people are asking me things that I don't actually think are that relevant to the actual coaching. Like, why is it that this accent sounds like this? And I'm always like, great question. Feel free to let me know. (laughs) It's such a relief to be able to just be like, the person who has the thought has to solve it for themselves. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that so it worked in a way. Because now I feel like you're a great, not only are you a great communicator, but you've actually used that particular skill. I mean, I'm thinking specifically of like when you're on Samantha B and and question asking and being really present with people was like the job. Yeah, I think like I started doing improv um, like, cause I thought it was fun and I enjoyed performing. Um, but the thing of improv is like listening very deeply to people and like responding to them from a place of yes. Um, and so then when I got that job, it's not really a job that you can train for. Cause like before it started with like just the daily show and now there are more shows that do that, but you would, there wouldn't be like a college class on how to be a fake news correspondent. Cause there was like one show that was doing that. So once that, when I started doing it, I was like, oh, I don't know if I know how to do this. And I was really lucky to get to observe Sam, who's the absolute best at it. And I sort of like the thing that she does so well, she's such a like open, empathetic person that people immediately feel very comfortable with her to the point where she can do, I've seen her do the most wild things in front of people. And they're just so in love with her that they just sit there while she like, does a whole comedy routine and they're just like, I trust this lady. I'm sure this is going somewhere. Um, so I was never like quite that good at it, but I, the, the formula that worked for me, I was like, Oh, it's like doing improv with someone who doesn't know how to do it and doesn't know that they are doing it. Right. And so you're just like saying yes to whatever it is they're doing. And sometimes you physically have to like hold people on camera. Like you, you wouldn't be able to tell, but behind their back, I'm like, physically holding them from running away because some people's impulse when they see a camera is to retreat and you're like, so you're like trying to listen to them and remember all the things that you need to talk about and like stay on topic and get what you need for the piece, but also somehow physically radiate like trust and confidence and physically keep them in frame. (laughs) How do you, besides the the physical part with your hand, how do you like, what do you, what is the actual, technically speaking, how do you do that radiating? Like, do you just think that thought and then just and then just run with it? Um, I try to just like tell people they're doing a good job and like you're okay. This is because like a lot of times people think they are supposed to be funny and like they're not. Like, all you need to do in this moment is be honest and tell me your real opinions and um, sort of reassuring people that like that's enough that you don't need to entertain me or the idea of the audience like literally if you just tell me the truth you will have done the perfect thing. Yeah, that's amazing. It also makes me wonder like 
Um, can you tell us about, I want to get into everything with your PhD program and your, and your leaving <laughs> of the PhD program, uh, for improv, you, you, you like left the old lover for the new lover. Um, <laughs> but, but, um, but actually, yeah, let me just start there. So I want to get back to talking about improv, but first, what was, will you set the scene of what was happening for you academically when you discovered sketch and comedy? Um, Yes. So I went to grad school like half because I was good at that kind of work. Like I enjoy theory. I enjoy writing. I enjoy like solving and figuring out a problem. Um, But also half because the thing I really wanted to do, which was be an actor, didn't seem accessible to me. I also, by the way, I read that you were talking about in college, like never getting cast as the lead. Yeah, um, which I really, which really resonates with me. <laughs> I always, and I think this is still true, but certainly was at that time. I always was like, whatever the smallest character that could still be considered a lead character was. Like, I wasn't garbage. I, I was describe myself as like a B plus actor. Like, I. It's not bad. I just was never going to be the lead. And in retrospect, was often playing like the comic relief character, but wasn't like present enough to realize that I was funny. I was just like, oh, I'm not pretty. I don't get to be the girl who like someone falls in love with. But also a lot of times that character is quite boring and there's a more fun, funnier character off to the side. Yes. Which is... Same. I remember I got got an MFA in acting. And so there was like, you know, eight girls, eight guys in my class. And the very, the third year they had um, somebody like where it was so theater based. And then suddenly they had somebody from Hollywood pop in and be like, so here are your types. Yes. And he went through and literally every single person in my class was, you're the lead. You're the best friend. You're the lead. You're the best friend. I was the one who they said was the character actor. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, this makes so much sense of why I've like always felt like the weird outsider in my grad school class. And also why no one knows what to do with me except just put me in the (laughs) funny role. Yeah. And like, let her solve that thing. One of those where um, there's like a list of the types of characters you would play and everyone's like a cop, an FBI agent, a lawyer, you know, whatever. And mine were all like a nurse, uh, assistant district attorney, a beat cop. It was an assistant version of every job. I mean. (laughs) So you were like, let me actually talk about the theory of menstruacy because... This acting thing might not be for me. Um, I mean, I'm, it's a joke, but it's also not a joke because I was so my 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 jaw dropped when I read what you were actually, you know, going for your PhD for the subject matter. Yeah, and I'd love to tell people about it because blackface minstrelsy is the first American art form. It's the first art that Americans created, uh, and there's still so many like. Things that we think of as like classic comedy bits and tropes that originated from minstrelsy. Um, and so it was a really interesting thing to study. And I've heard you even say that like 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 sitcom, like what we think of as sitcom, but um has its roots. Yeah. And so it's like now being a person who makes television, I'm really glad that I had that background. Um, but at the time I was just like in academia and was again, like sort of good at it, but wasn't enjoying it. And the people that want to be in that world were just not my people. I really, really enjoyed teaching and working with students. And I was able to teach, like when you're teaching performance, like a lot of students think they're going to be an actor or, or something. And a lot of them are just not based on the numbers. But what was more important to me was like, I was able to get students to like stand up straighter and be more confident in their bodies and like use their voices to their fullness. Nothing makes me want to dig into a human more than a woman who only uses the top half of her voice. And I know there's more voice. And it like, if I meet her in a bar, I'm like, well, we're going to like, I would love to get in there and just, just find the bottom of that register. <laughs> just want people to have their whole voice. I mean, Ashley, obviously, I, I'm in your club, if you'll have me. Um, I also feel like the the, the vocal equivalent or the, the language equivalent of that is people who say I'm fine. When yeah. they, I mean, obviously, like, sometimes we're just like, we don't need to engage, whatever. But the I'm fine voice that really sounds like somebody's trying to convince you, but they're convincing you with, like, a quarter of their range. I'm fine. Yeah, everything's yeah. fine. And I'm like, I'm fine. <laughs> Actually, while we're here, tell us more about teaching. Do you remember anyone specifically that you helped? 
uh, I went straight from undergrad to grad school. So I was like the same age as or a year older than my students, which was very strange. I didn't always feel very effective, (laughs) but I remember we did like a class performance and um, the student's parents came up to me after the performance and were like, what did you do? Just like complete shock. And I didn't even understand what was happening. And I thought like, were there dirty words in the show that they weren't? And they were like, we (laughs) never heard him say more than like five words in a row. He's so shy. And he just stood up there and gave like a whole performance. What did you do to him? And I was like, I don't know, but it feels so good to know that you've like given someone permission. Yeah, permission and like the space to access a part of themselves that obviously they already had, but maybe they just were never in a space where someone said like, I want to see this part of you. Yeah. I mean, so much of this work is about, um, I mean, I said, you know, I yelled permission because it's the, it's the word that's in my title. <laughs> but, you know, the reality is part of giving somebody permission, it's not just like, you know, finger wagging and saying you have permission. It's about like saying you might have felt like you were in spaces that were too scary to handle you. You might have been right, but it also might have become a habit. Yeah. So what if we put you in a really safe space and, and figure out who's in there that hasn't felt safe to come out? Yeah. And it has to be truly safe. I think sometimes the word safe space has become like a buzzword and people say like, oh, we want this job to be a safe space, but it isn't. And like truly creating a space where it's like, there's no wrong answer here. And I taught comedy writing. So I had students write scenes that offended me, like as a woman, as a person of color. And it's like, but this is a safe space. And so we're going to talk about this scene on its merits and no one's judging you for having written it the audience probably doesn't want to see it. And let's talk about that. But like, this That's is rough. A- Cause also like, how, how is that safe for you then? Yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, um, it isn't always, but the good thing is like when you are being um, offensive in a racial way or a gender way, you're also often doing bad comedy. So as a teacher, it's very yeah. easy to be like, here's why this is bad comedy. And that's what I'm here to teach you. I'm distracted because my dog is sleeping and she's doing really cute little barks in her sleep. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what's happening. Do you think she's talking to somebody, some dream dog? (laughs) She's probably being real tough in her dream, I think. Are you walking her and like, is she getting interaction or how is quarantine? She's really missing the interaction because she's like a very cute little chunky dog. And so normally when we walk, like strangers want to stop and pet her. And I think she sort of went through a crisis of like, nobody's stopping to pet me. Am I not cute anymore? Like, what's going on? I mean, she's all of us. (laughs) Um, So (laughs) when you were teaching, you had already found Second City and you were already doing improv and sketch? Yeah, I started um, studying at the Second City while... So I did my master's and then I did my PhD. So... I was I started um, studying in Second City, I think, like at the same time that I started my PhD. Um, so I was truly like going to school during the day and teaching and then like doing comedy at night and then like coming in hungover to teach. It was like a very weird. Totally. And what were you thinking in terms of I mean, were you thinking as ob- sort of obviously as it is now that you were like both studying performance and then also doing it? and sort of had like the theory and practice being like jammed up against each other? I was, but weirdly, like the school was not interested in that. (laughs) Oh yeah. This thing, like when you hear performance studies, one of the tenets of performance studies is that everything is performance. Gender is a performance. And so in that vein, you would think if you're doing drag or improv or comedy or whatever, those would all be equally as interesting areas of of practice and study but actually they're they're interested in like um important performance like performance art and stuff like that so doing improv was just like we don't know why you're doing this and it's not helping you to be doing this and um it was so much more fun and fulfilling <laughs> i was just like well i guess i'm gonna go do that <laughs> academia man 
Yeah, and where big thoughts happen and then they're sort of locked away for only people who can access them. Yes. Um, and then I was, would come to realize as I was doing sketch comedy, like, oh, I could do a sketch about the same idea. And obviously it's like a very different form and can be much less nuanced, but 300 people are in the audience tonight who can immediately access this thought as opposed to like, oh, I wrote a book and it took like years to get it published and I forced my students to buy it the students who can afford this very expensive rarefied education will be forced to buy this book and maybe they'll read it and maybe they won't. Right, right. I have a question from a friend that is along these lines. She wrote to me and and wanted me to ask you, how do you maintain the balance between being ironic or funny and being taken seriously when you address thoughtful and complicated or complex topics? Like, where and how, as a creative, do you draw the line? And then she also wrote, um, we love you, woman, and thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's very kind. Um, I sort of, it's a really interesting question. I don't always expect to be taken seriously. Um, just like as a young woman of color in this business, I sort of know that when I start to engage, I'm starting from a place of not being taken seriously. And rather than like be angry about that, I just enjoy the playing with that. And like, there's, I really enjoy the moment. It happens in interviews, in meetings, in like from an audience member, the moment where someone sits forward and they're like, oh shit, she's good at this is like my favorite. And I like to wait for it and clock it and see how long it took me to get there. So rather than like be mad that I don't get to start with that in the way that some people do, I just enjoy watching that person be forced to like give me that moment eventually. Um, so I don't I don't feel like a pressure about being taken seriously. I do feel a pressure about being understood because one of the things with comedy is like you could write something that's super funny, but if it's about a topic that's serious or important and people are unclear whether or not you take it seriously, then they can, you know, rightfully get very upset or not rightfully, but pretend to get upset because it's fun to like be mean to people on the internet. And so I think like less than being taken seriously, it's like really important to me to be understood and to be clear. And the times when I have gotten in trouble, I can look back and say like, oh, you know what? Maybe that statement wasn't a hundred percent clear. And there is room for interpretation Mm -hmm. here um, and try to limit that. The other part of the question, I think, which is, which is, feels really relevant for me and for for a lot of us who are trying to live in this space where we're um, approaching a lot of the absurdity of life with the absurdity it deserves, but also with with the gravitas that it deserves. If it's like hurting people's lot, you know, if this is if it's heavy, is um, is like what? How do you figure out how to be funny about things that are serious? Because that is something you you actually are an expert on. Um, weirdly, like, as I said, I was not, I had to learn to be a better communicator. And as a kid, like the times where I was most angry or most sad, a lot of times people would laugh, like just my natural expression (laughs) of my feelings causes laughter. Um, so I found a way to make money off of it. Um, but I think like, so what you're saying is you just talk seriously about serious things (laughs) and people, and people fill in their own shit. I mean, sometimes you do like, there are certain jokes structures that you know are going to work. And like, if you can put something into one of those structures, you can What does get that people. mean? Wait, will you tell me what you mean by a joke structure? I mean, just like when you've been doing it for a while, like there are just certain jokes that like work and you're like, oh, if I can figure out how to say this in this way, it's going to get a laugh. But also people will listen to it is the the real thing behind it. So there there is some of that, but there's also like, I think a lot of times laughter comes from like surprise. Um, and there are just so many things that are like obviously happening that we either don't talk about because we don't want to admit it to ourselves or like we feel that we can't talk about for political reasons. And sometimes someone just saying the thing is funny because it's like, oh shit, I can't believe someone actually said it. Yeah, yeah, which which feels like it's 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 tapping into that like age old aspect of comedy that is the speaking truth to power part, the yeah. court jester part. Yeah, that's like if I do it with a little bit of a wink of ha ha, I'll I'll just I'll be the one who just says the thing. Yeah, and then the tension release of like, oh, finally it's been mentioned. <laughs> Someone said it. 
Someone said the thing. Um, Okay, we're going to take a quick break and come right back. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Can we talk about doing voices? Yes. (laughs) So, I mean, first of all, um, a Black Lady sketch show. You write at least some of your own characters. How do you figure out how they're going to sound? Such a good question. For example, like Trinity versus the influencer girl. The most annoying woman in the world. Um, <laughs> that's her full Because name. also, like, you're you're also, I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm also asking because, like, you're kind of, like, playing in stereotypes and vocal stereotypes. And then also, like, I always feel like you're doing it with a real, like, sense of, I know what I'm doing, you know? Yeah. It's, like, first of all, just fun uh, because I started out training as a singer. And so like learning how to access those different parts of my voice. And it's very fun to like bring like the, the, um, Trinity voice is more so in my chest, close to my real voice. She's a very honest person. She's also not, she's unrecognized, but she also uses that to her advantage. She's not trying to be recognized. So her voice is going to be a little bit lower and quieter and she's okay going under the radar. Um, whereas uh, the most annoying woman in the world, that voice comes out of the top of my head, which is like an opera register. And it's it's like both someone who's trying, it's incredibly difficult to speak from there. Like, And she's a person who's trying very hard. Like she's definitely a try hard, but also she wants the most attention. She's working really hard for it but she's also not real. Like the fullness of your voice comes from much lower in your body. So it's sort of like a voice that tells you that a person is being artificial. And one of the things that was interesting about that sketch, uh, Lauren Ashley Smith, who's a genius, wrote that sketch. And it was set in the South. And I was like, do I do a Southern accent? Because a person who came from this place would have one, except for that she's pretending to be someone else. So she almost has like a Valley girl accent, even though she's not from there and has never been there because she's like trying to present herself as an idea of a person that's not real. It's also like a thing about femininity, like for what one woman is trying to do, excessive femininity is useful. And for what the other one is trying to do, it isn't, you know what I mean? So the idea of femininity is not a given, but a tool um, and we all know I get super feminine when I get pulled over by the cops. You know what I mean? Like we know when that tool is to our use and when it isn't, and it's very fun to play with. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I talk about this a lot because I often say that this podcast is about how to use your voice to get what you want, but what you want is different in different scenarios. Yes. So yes, we have an, a quote unquote authentic voice that sounds like it's coming, you know, from our actual anatomy and, and feels true, rings true, <laughs> but also we have more than one authentic voice. Yeah. And like, to me, like the only reason to communicate is to affect another person. And we're constantly as human beings, um, 
what's the word? Like analyzing and thinking about how can I be most effective in what I'm trying to get done, whether it's like you're trying to get your kid to put their shoes on and it's like, hey, how much raising my voice will get them to do it faster. And if I go too far with that and I make the kid cry, now we're waiting even longer to <laughs> to get out the door. We're constantly like having those negotiations in real life. And those are the things I think that make acting and characters really feel real and lived in because those are the calculations that people are making. Totally. And actually, that's such a great way to put it too, because sometimes it seems like, you know, anybody who's gone through any acting training knows that that part of the sort of central way that the actors think about breaking down, you know, a script written by not them or even written by them, I guess, is like, what what does my character want in this moment? And sometimes that feels sort of calculated and, and disconnected. But it's, a you know, obviously important to remember that that's actually what we're thinking about in real life all the time. We're just not necessarily thinking, how do I use my voice to get what I want in this moment? But we are. We're just not necessarily thinking about it intellectually. Yeah, it's more instinctive. Or we're, or we're like constantly... Uh, trialing different things, you know, like you said with the kid, with the kid thing, like whatever naturally comes out, and then, oops, that didn't work. Let me pivot. Do, 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 you know, <laughs> um, I actually, I mean, I get really literal with that because I'm me, and so if I have to tell my kid to do something more than once, and like the third or fourth time is when I have to like raise my voice, and then he does it, I totally. Oh my God, I sound so manipulative, but I totally drop my voice back down and I say, so it sounds like you're asking me to yell at you because you only did the thing when I yelled. Is that what you're teaching me? (laughs) You know, and then he has to think about it. God, it does seem like that's sort of what I was teaching you, mom. (laughs) I'm such an asshole. It adds a little spice to my day. What can I say? (laughs) but you're right with everybody like we we we're trying the reason we're all trying to have our feelers on all the time and have a high EQ as you say is because obviously the more that we can read a room the more we can get what we want even if what we want is just to be understood not not necessarily to like you know get something transactional from someone did you did you lose me there sorry that was oh no i'm good <laughs> can you tell me what the process was of getting better at improv oh um really good question like do you remember <laughs> Sucking at it. Sucking at it is too strong, but you know what I mean. Like the honing part. (laughs) This is going to be so crunchy and is coming from a person who taught improv for many years. I don't think that anybody sucks at improv. And so I don't, I didn't experience myself as sucking at improv. I think what you can be bad at is being yourself on stage that like, I think like when you're hanging out with your family or your friends or people you're close to, you feel very comfortable and that's probably closest to your true self. And for a lot of people, when you get on stage or when a camera gets into your face, you get uncomfortable. It's very difficult to be your true self in that situation. And all improv is teaching you to do is to shut off that part of your brain that's criticizing you or or telling or making you overthink everything before you say it or telling you your body is not good enough and you should hide it or whatever it is your brain does in that moment. And you're training to stop listening to that and to go back to your normal, natural reactions. Or like some people describe it as like learning to play. Like when we were children, we played um, without a lot of self-doubt and and, and negative self-talk. And then as an adult, you learn all of these rules of how you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to honestly tell this person what you think of them. You're not supposed to honestly respond in this moment. You're supposed to be like a good worker, whatever role it is you're supposed to play. And now all of those thoughts are between you and that person who used to just... Like I just um, met a friend's baby over Zoom, which is infuriating. Like I should get to kiss that baby. But um, she's, you know, has a slight inconvenience and she starts wailing because that's her, she feels, I don't feel good. Somebody fix it. And we like learn so much to stop doing that. And all improv is, is going back to being that person who, when they have a slight feeling, says or does the the thing. Um, and so I, I don't think I experienced it, experienced it as being bad at improv, but I did experience being like, oh, when I felt that moment of fear, I said the thing anyway, and I got a huge laugh. And that's true every time. And eventually I got to the point where when I feel that moment of fear, I get excited because I know it means a laugh is coming. That is huge. That's because it's so, that's so, that's actually such a, I mean, that's such a tangible 
way for people to think about it who are maybe experiencing the same thing. Like, just to trust that that feeling means keep going. It doesn't mean back off. Yeah. And it, it's changed my whole life. Like, I truly believe everyone should take improv classes. Obviously, not everyone should be an improviser. It's not a job. You can't make money doing it. <laughs> like, but everyone should take improv classes because it made me better at everything. Like, I was a person who couldn't, like, go on vacation and relax because in that environment, everything is not, like, controlled and planned. And I learned to yes and and just be like, okay, I'm here now, you know, whatever, like, oh, there's a restaurant down the street. I'll try that one. If it's not good, I'll live. You know what I mean? Like you just learn to go with the flow more. I always, I always, um, I realized years ago that like uh, a great way for me to figure out like people in my life that I'd sort of gravitate towards versus need to like have some boundaries around is yes and people versus no but people. And I'm not judging them. Like no but people often are just like not yet yes and people, God God willing. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, the yes and energy just permeates into every, every way that we approach every tiny, tiny thing. Yeah. It just allows you to like find things interesting instead of scary. Like someone says something that you wouldn't normally think, or that you is very different from you and allows you to be like, Oh, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. Instead of just being like, no, go away. I don't like it. Which also, by the way, is the secret when you're around your kid too much. Hashtag quarantine tip, you know, but like, I mean, whatever, it's, it's too much. It's too much for everybody. But, you know, it is true that in those moments when they're being, you know, quote unquote annoying, you can also be like, remain curious, remain curious. This is such an interesting human who is having their moment. What is this? What can I learn about humans from this moment? Yeah, I am not a parent. And so my favorite developmental phrases when a kid learns the word no and they're like trying to figure out how no works and you're like do you want a raspberry and they're like no and it's like I know you do but this is how no works you said no and so now no raspberry and and let's sit here until you figure out that you do I'm also a fan of like if my kid says no a lot I'm always like so find one thing to say yes to right now just try it just try it just try it and then he has to and then he's like oh This was not meant to become a podcast about mothering, but like, you know what? (laughs) This is quarantine times. (laughs) Everything changes. Um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, writer's rooms. You've been in a number of them at this point and um, a number of really cool ones, it seems like. I mean, I'm I'm referring to Samantha Bee, uh, a Black Lady Sketch show, and also Bless This Mess, yes? Mm -hmm. And also you've talked about the epitome of those moments that didn't work in maybe previous experiences where what I've heard you say is something about like when your references don't land. And it made me realize that one way, I'm always thinking about how power works, you know, and one way that we can talk about power is when you bring in a reference that somebody doesn't get, the power is in people assuming, I bet it's relevant, I should go look it up. And when you don't have the power, it's assuming uh, that doesn't sound relevant. I don't know what she's thinking about anyway. Yeah, that is so 100% true in comedy and difficult to articulate at times because people will say, this is funny and this is not funny. Right. And that exists. But a lot of times what you're saying is, I understand this and I don't understand this. And because you understand and recognize something, it's funny to you. That doesn't mean that everyone else understands and recognizes it. And it also doesn't mean that the things that you don't understand and recognize are not funny to someone. So like the example I always use because it's universally true (laughs) in writer's rooms is that like, Men will always like put in a Star Wars reference and then they'll be like, now it's a joke. And you're like, it is. For people who right. have seen Star Wars, which you think is everyone, but is not right. everyone. Or, or I would argue even like people who've seen like the people who've seen Star Wars and also think that Star Wars references are funny. Cause I've seen Star Wars, but I'm like, Yeah. All right. Seems seems trod. <laughs> seems overtrod. Well, there's like that laugh of recognition of like, oh, we're all on the same page. And you might have that about Star Wars, but like in the Black Lady Sketch Show room, so many moments like that are about like things that happen in black churches that like, I know there are many people who would be like, oh, that's not funny. And it's like, actually, it's hilarious. You just never were a child growing up in a black church. And that's a specific experience. Yeah. Well, and the whole, and this, the whole idea of like, you know, quote unquote, centering other people's stories is that like, we get to like, not have there be one kind of funny anymore. We got not one kind of point of view anymore. And, you know, most of us, 
I guess I don't know the numbers, so I shouldn't say most of us, but a lot of us are not interested in, you know, just the thing that used to be funny 50 years ago. Yeah, I think also I've totally found both in live comedy and in television that audiences will laugh at anything that's funny and they don't have to know the reference. And there are ways like package things where like, even if you don't know the reference, the joke still works. And for the most part, if it's interesting and compelling and funny, audiences will enjoy it. And the problem is not that. The problem is like gatekeepers who assume the audience isn't going to enjoy that thing. Yes. Yes. I've heard you talk about this. Yes. Can you say a little bit more about what you mean? It's like the people who are kind of scared of the audience rather than the audience themselves, but they also may be the ones who cut your checks. Yeah. People who are like, oh, people don't know what this is or white people won't know what this is and therefore it won't work. And it's like one of the cool things about having trained in Chicago is like you perform in front of the audience that, um, first of all, very comedy savvy audiences who watch a ton of comedy, but also people who are just like driving down from Indiana to see a show and they know everything. <laughs> like, I don't know why um, the powers that be have like decided that like the internet and television and, and having friends doesn't exist and people aren't capable of finding out about other experiences other than their own. But for the most part, people do know about things. And are, and are like hungry for it. Like, yeah. t- like, you know, if you get up there, I want you to talk about you. Also, they like, if people have paid money to watch something, they want to laugh at it. They're going to give you those first few minutes to hook them in because they're like, I left my house. I got a babysitter. Be funny. <laughs> Also, tell me if this feels true or not true, but it also makes me think about, you know, there's this sort of age-old truism that uh, when we're really, really specific about our experience, even if it's one no one else has shared, it rings true. There is something, I mean, you know, the more specific, the more universal. Like I'm thinking about, it it makes me think of um, Hannah Gadsby's Nanette. Like much of the content of that, of her life experience, I have not had. But like the deeper stuff, I'm like that human to human, I see you, you know, I see me better because I see you. And I'm sure that like some jokes about, you know, black church ladies that I haven't necessarily been in the church next to will still be like, I see what I see what that is about how humans are. Yeah, because you're like, I know what an authority figure is. I know what a generational divide is. Like I've experienced a nosy person before, like the more specific you can be, the more it becomes. Because at the end of the day, like it's always about love or fear or something that every human has experienced. Okay, I have two questions that are actually, I think, two parts of the same question now that I think about it. One of them is about writer's block or jokes that aren't working or sketches that aren't fit. Like you were talking about somewhere about the the second act of Trinity and like not quite, you know, like having weeks of sort of like, ah, what is that? So I want to talk about That, but the other side of that, which is like confidence in like being okay with not getting it yet. Oh, yeah. Um, I actually had a great teacher at Second City, Norm Holly. And um, there, you know, like the actors write the show and you would write something. So there's a lot like it feels like you're giving a piece of your heart to your director because it's not only a script that you've written, but that you're hoping to star in. It means your stage time. It's like everything about the show is determined by your ability to like be a decent writer. And obviously like sketches get cut all the time. And Norm, like very early on taught us, he'd be like, ideas are like toilet paper. Once they've been used, you flush them. Like you, you don't need to hold on to this particular idea that didn't make it into the show or that did make it into the show and now is going to go that's not the only good idea you're ever going to have. You're going to have 500 good ideas over the course of this process alone. And um, each idea is only good enough to like serve the moment it's in. And and then it it doesn't need to go on any further than that. And you get told that and it doesn't feel real to you. And then like two years later, you sort of wake up and you're like, oh, he was (laughs) right. But you have to like have had the experience of doing it so many times I also have heard it talks about of like building up a callus that like every time something is bad or gets rejected, it like touch. It's like um, when you first start playing guitar yeah. and your fingers are like Tender. super soft, but you keep doing it to like build up a callus there so that like your rejection callus is thick enough that someone says this is a good idea and you're like, all right, fine, on to the next idea. Um, I think that's easier to do in like sketch 
where the script was five pages long, it's harder to write like a 200 page thing and be like, oh, you didn't like it? Great. No problem. Um, (laughs) I'm cool. I'm cool. (laughs) (laughs) But there is like having trust in yourself that if this idea doesn't work for this person, A, that's not necessarily everyone, but also B, you're going to have another good idea and you're going to be able to keep working. It's a nice way to think about it too, because sometimes like the other way of thinking about it is that we're so... How do you both um, care a lot, care enough to, you know, feel like you're really honoring your ideas and then also not care enough so that if they don't happen, it's not like the end of the world? Yeah. Practically, one thing that I do is if I am pitching something um, or have like a big audition that's like very important to me, the second that I'm done with that thing, I start doing another thing. So like I'm pitching a show now. And I'm writing a different script while I'm pitching it. So that like when I get told no, which I will (laughs) about that thing, instead of going, oh no, my one precious opus has been rejected. It's like, oh, that one got rejected. Well, back on track with this other thing that I'm working on. Do you take your own advice, advice columnist? Um, A lot of the time. I also have a best friend who will, is very happy to be like, well, you would say <laughs> blah, blah, blah. How infuriating and fabulous. <laughs> I love your advice. First of all, you have a podcast and you have, do you still do the advice column on Dame or did that turn into the podcast? Uh, they were together. I haven't done either of them in a little while, but yeah. Um, your advice is so good. Thanks. I mean, sometimes I read those sorts of things and I'm like, oh, I hope the person doesn't take that advice. But yours, I'm like... <laughs> Yeah, like you got to, the, you know, like there's this one, actually to wrap it up with another another mom thing. Um, sorry for non-moms in the audience. You gave advice to a lady who was who was putting herself last and like hated her kids as a result. And you said, I don't suggest that you focus on changing your feelings, which is blaming yourself. I suggest that you focus on building your life, which is taking care of yourself. Get a hobby. Take a night off a week to do Pilates or that dumb thing where you drink and paint shitty pottery. <laughs> Go out with your girlfriends. By the way, none of this is useful for right now in a quarantine. But I bet you could probably like tweak it if you were asked to. Um, you know that secret dream you had that no one knows about? Start quietly working towards it. So I said that that she was putting herself last. That came from you. She didn't say that, right? She was just saying, like, I hate my kids. And you were like, I see through you to what's happening. Yeah, that's why I like giving advice. I mean, I like giving advice because I'm a bossy person. Let's I be mean, clear. Uh, um. <laughs> that seems like one of those words. I enjoy telling people what to do. I would say, I would say you're an empowering leader. (laughs) I like bossy. I'm reclaiming it. Okay, good. Okay, good. I feel like women especially, but people in general, have been so trained that it's bad to be self-interested, that it's often very clear what someone wants. And the only person who doesn't know is them because it, it... feels dangerous to admit that you want an hour to yourself a week. Or like I, another word that I like to reclaim is ambitious. Like it's women are not supposed to be ambitious to the point where like, like I was talking about go-to jokes. Like one of the things that I'll say, knowing I'll get a a laugh out of it is to be like, I'm very good at this. People will always laugh at that because women are not supposed to say it. And I think like a lot of times you can clearly see that a woman like, wants something, is ambitious, or even just wants time to herself, to take care of herself, and she doesn't feel allowed to say it. So she'll say like 500 other things. And you just have to be like, seems like the thing behind this is that your husband sucks or like whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever it is. Or that you're not asking for what you need. Yeah. And so blaming everybody else. Yeah. And I also, you know, I love, I just love listening to people and finding out more about people. And I hate talking about the weather. And and so I am one of those horrible people who if someone will be like, I'm fine. And be like, how's your, how's your relationship going? Like, cause I just, I don't want to have the I'm fine conversations. I would love to just dig in there and find out what's really Oh yeah. Uh, You know, there's a, one of the um, Brene Brown podcast episodes with uh, Dr. Mark Brackett, who wrote this book called Permission to Feel. Uh, I feel it feels like a companion piece (laughs) for permission to speak. Um, But his whole, I mean, he has a lot of things. I don't want to say his whole thing is quote unquote, but one of his things that really stayed with me is that, you know, we were all in this I'm fine culture because we've just been taught that no one wants to know what's real. But for those of us who actually do, 
or who are like, I have the time right now if you want to actually tell me what's real. Um, you know, people have to be trained that there's space for that. Yeah. I think also the fear behind that, which is very valid, is like, I don't want to ask this person for care or I don't know if they're like available to take care of me right now. But you can also be honest without expecting anything back from that person, which I think can be difficult to do, but it's okay to be like, oh, I'm having a bad day. Okay, on with the meeting and not like make that person take care of you. Like I think people see like two opposite things. Like either people are just like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Or people, there are a lot of people who are very comfortable being like, take care of me in this moment. And we're like, we're in a business meeting. Eh, No. Um, But there's a middle ground, which is just being like, oh, we're in a tough situation. Like, especially right now with COVID-19, everyone's in a tough situation. It's okay to say like, this is tough. And then continue on with what we're doing. And you've been honest. You probably feel a little bit better for having been honest, but you're also not asking anyone to like stop what they're doing and care for you. I know. I know. Not being a burden and also asking for what we need. Um, Yeah. We're going to take another break and then we're going to come back and find out who you've brought in for us to listen to. Oh. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extra extraordinary perks. Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Okay, we are back. And um, tell us who you've brought in. Uh, To the surprise of no one, Elizabeth Warren. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, can we talk for a second about your relationship with Elizabeth? Your public relationship with Elizabeth? (laughs) Yes. Well, um, when I saw, it was like someone whose voice you admire. I didn't know if it meant their physical voice or their like point of view. And I really like both of them for her. So that was why I chose her. Also, she is very funny, which I think we're we need more funny <laughs> in our politics right now. Um, so I had tweeted. Um, it was like in the primary, and I was just scrolling through Twitter, and like every tweet seemed to be about like a different plan that Elizabeth Warren had put out, and they're all these like well thought out, comprehensive, like great plans. And so You're bringing just, us back. I know it's upsetting. <laughs> As a joke, I tweeted, like, do you think Elizabeth Warren has a plan for my love life? Just like as a comment on how varied and comprehensive the plans were. And then she tweeted back, like, DM me and we'll talk about it, which is just like a great joke. And I just loved that she was that funny. And I thought that would be the end of it. And then she actually DM'd me and called me on the phone and wanted to help. (laughs) (laughs) And um, and (laughs) did she help? Uh, She would have helped a more together person. Her advice was basically like, know what you have going for you and like move from a place of you're an amazing person who anyone would be lucky to be with. And that is good advice that I'm not at yet. (laughs) I will have access to that uh, maybe in five years, I think. (laughs) Oh, is that the plan? That's the plan? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, That's, I mean, I hope, I hope it comes before that for the sake of your confidence, if not for the sake of your love life. (laughs) Um, But also, yeah, every aspect of that story is just so 
fucking unfairly charming. It's also like so her, because even in that phone call, she was naming specific things that I had done, like pieces I had done in Full Frontal or like things that she thought would make me a good partner. And she is someone who just like thinks so deeply about everything that was like, that would have um, citations for <laughs> someone's love life. <laughs> um on that note, I picked a little bit from one of her town halls. Um, I wanted to pick something that was not from an interview, but that was from, you know, in, on a stage, because I think that's that's really, that's the tough part. I mean, they're all tough, but in terms of public speaking, how we bring ourselves. Uh, we're going to jump to it right now and listen to this little bit and try to live in the world in which this worked for America. I can remember how my mother used to tuck me into bed at night, and she'd give me a big smile and then she'd walk out of the room and she'd close the door and I'd hear her start to cry because she never wanted to cry in front of me. These are the times that I learned words like mortgage and foreclosure. And I still remember walking into their bedroom one day and laid out on the bed was the dress. Now, some of you know the dress. It's the one that only comes out for weddings, funerals, and graduations. And there was my mother down in the other part of the room in her slip and her stockings. And she was walking back and forth and she had her head down and she was saying, we will not lose this house. We will not lose this house. We will not lose this house. It's like so powerful in the specificity of her storytelling, like the specificity of her mom wearing the slip and being a person who has like one nice dress and all of the like little details that she gives us. One, it builds empathy within us because we have experienced that. Like I picture my mom in her slip, you know, on a Sunday morning and also tells us that she actually lived a life like the one that we're living. And that has become so rare in a politician on the national level that they know what it means to not be able to pay a bill or to have one nice dress or to cry because you don't know how you're going to take care of your children. And you don't necessarily have have to have experienced those things to be able to help people but we've experienced so many politicians who haven't experienced those things who aren't able to help us because their policy that they think is super helpful is going to end up only helping the people on the top because they don't know what life is like. I mean, literally, they don't get our reference that we brought into the room. Yeah. And for someone to say with that much specificity, like, I have been where you are. I have experienced it. It also, like, very much places her age and where she's from. She's telling you so much about herself, but in a way that tells you that she's like you. Um, and it's so effective. And now with the benefit of hindsight, we know that it wasn't, that people still, like a lot of people still chose not to vote for her. I mean, it was, it was and it wasn't. You know, I think the electability issue really, I don't want to take some of the wrong lessons from her not winning because, um, I think so many, there's there's statistics that prove that so many people wanted to vote for her, but were worried that, quote unquote, their neighbor wouldn't. Yeah. And this sort of, the attempt at at game theorying it just fucked us all. And that's, you know, that, that is, that's and not like, the same lesson as the, she was a bad communicator lesson, right? So we don't want to take yeah. one for the other. Well, it's also like on a very different scale in a very different way, what we were talking about earlier, where like gatekeepers say, they won't like this, so I'm not going to put it on That's TV. That's it. That's it. And That's it. Yeah, it's like you you don't know who they are. Like, just if you do what you think is best for the most people, you can probably be pretty effective. Like, gaming out that other people might be worse than you, it's just allowing you to embrace your worst instinct in the service of people who you don't know. That's right. And if we aren't voting for people because we love them, we're voting for them because we think they're the maybe least bad among the people that probably your neighbor will vote for. You know, we're just not actually being citizens, like in the way that democracy wants us to be. But also in terms of what we can learn from her on the technical level, because, you know, um, 
despite her not uh, having the day on Super Tuesday that a lot of us were hoping for, <laughs> um, there are still just stunning lessons to learn from what her public speaking style. And, and you were talking to a lot of them. The reason I picked that one, one bit specifically rather than her in a, in a sort of question and answer moment when she's a fucking brilliant yes-ander, by the way, is that she told that story so many times. She's told that story, you know, at every single town hall, and that was right near the end, uh, the one that I picked, which is, I think, South Carolina. And um, and what is it to tell the same story over and over? One, you have to actually trust that your story is worth telling. So that's like the that's way early on, right? <laughs> from for a lot of women, surely some men as well, but but stereotypically for a lot of women, we skip the part where we tell an actual story about our actual life. Uh, and I found it on this podcast. I mean, getting people to actually say, you know, not just like this is a thing that happens to people, but I remember this one time that, you know, we there's just this little voice in us that goes, and eh, no one wants to hear about that. But we're just desperate for it. And when she says, like, here's the thing that actually happened, let me take you there. We're like, yes, we're storytelling creatures. We, we're there with you. We're in the room, you know. Um, and how much she was able to embody it each time, even though it was repetitive, you know, even though she'd done it before. And what that is to just like actually sort of trust that you can go there to that place in in your mind and then tell the story with sometimes different words, sometimes the same words, and and really that you're just there to the other part of it, connect it to the to the audience, that she knows she's doing that empathy building thing. And she knows that she's connecting it to these big ideas that tend to turn people off, you know, mortgage and foreclosure, um, just breaks people's brains. Um, and and yet she's connecting, she's, I had a, I had a teacher once say, looping it through the heart. I think about that a lot with her, right? Like we can say things out of our mouth or we can take that moment where they sort of loop through our heart and then come out of our mouth. And you know, part of what a lot of us love about what uh, what a what a real like icon of female leadership she is is that she's not afraid to be emotional like that for a purpose, not just emotional because she's unprocessed on something, but emotional because she's saying I'm bringing this in because it's real and because it's huge and it's a problem and we're all dealing with it. And I'm not not going to like try to be more formal than the story requires. It's also that she. Speeches that you say over and over again can start to feel canned because you've said it so many times and it doesn't because she's fully present in that moment. And having met her, she seems to be fully present in every moment. Like uh, when I met her, there was like a group of activists who were there to challenge her on something. And she was so present with them and listening and asking questions. And it takes a certain amount of confidence to just be in the moment. It's much easier to have those prepared answers that your staff gave you that you know have been focus tested and are the best answers. That's easy to do. It's much harder to sit in the uncomfortable moment of not knowing what that person's going to say to you, not knowing how to respond. And if that person says something that's challenging to you, not brushing them off, but sitting in it and saying, let me understand what you're saying and where you're coming from, or speaking to a group of this size and not just reciting a speech and hitting all your laugh lines, but saying, let me be present with you in this moment and tell you how this felt to me and allow you to see me in that way. And hopefully you will respond in kind, which I find that often people do. You will stop that running voice in your head and be present with me because of my example. And we'll be able to actually have this moment of communication together. Yeah, I know. I, I want to talk to her about that as well. I want to know if she has this, that same Ashley moment that you were talking about earlier of like, ooh, being my real self right now scares me doing it. <laughs> Ashley, thank you. Thank you for this. Um, you dropped some serious advice without even necessarily it being framed that way, you know? <laughs> But I really appreciate you being on. Thank you for this. Thanks so much for having me. I got to talk to another human being, which is rare enough these days. I got to see a baby. It's a really good day. 
Thank you to Ashley for joining us. You can find out more about her in the show notes or on our website, permissiontospeakpod.com. I am doing Instagram Lives these days every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific, so please feel free to pop in. I talk about uh, takeaways from this week's episode and interact with listeners, which is obviously a dream come true. So please show up there and or uh, send me DMs at Permission to Speak Pod on Instagram. You can also submit through the website. And um, and let me know what's going on with you. Who do you want to have me interview? Are there big old holes in the conversation that need to get filled? Um, (laughs) I'd love to hear from you guys. Thank you to Sophie Lichterman and the team at iHeartRadio and all of you. We are recording this podcast at various locations around Los Angeles on land that is the historic gathering place for the Tongva indigenous tribe. And you can visit usdac.us to learn more about honoring native land. Permission to Speak is a production of iHeartRadio and Double Vision, executive produced by Catherine Burt Canton and Mark Canton. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.